0: Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, open them to Genesis. We're going to be looking at chapter 48, verses 1 through 6. Genesis chapter 48, 1 through 6. Well, grandparents, we do appreciate you, and it is our desire today to honor you and and make you feel special for all that you do for us. At the same time, I also want to offer you a challenge today from the Word of God, because the truth is that we need you, and our families need you, and our church needs you, our community, our nation. We need godly grandparents now more than ever. A lot of the nations we, or excuse me, a lot of the issues that we have in this nation today, probably could have been prevented by a little bit more time on grandma and grandpa's lap, or maybe a good switching by grandma or grandpa, depending on the circumstance. But grandparents, you do play an important role in our lives, and God designed it that way, and so. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture this morning that outlines five ways to be a godly grandparent. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will use this text to equip you to be just that, godly grandparents, both for the good of your family and for the glory of God. The text that we're going to look at today centers around a man named Jacob. Jacob was the great patriarch of the nation Israel. His 12 sons would become the 12 tribes of Israel with a little caveat that we'll discuss in a few moments. Where we pick up reading, Jacob is nearing the end of his life. He's old. He's sick. He's basically on his deathbed. And one of Jacob's sons, Joseph, is an extremely important person in the nation of Egypt. This is the same Joseph who received The coat of many colors as a youth, this is the same Joseph who was thrown into a pit and sold into slavery by his brothers. But over time, because God's hand was on him, Joseph rose to a place of prominence in the nation of Egypt. In fact, he is second in command over the entire kingdom, only next to Pharaoh, a very busy man, no doubt. But word is taken to Joseph that his father, Jacob, is sick. And the implication is that his father's near death, and if Joseph wants to see him one last time, that he better go while he has the chance. When Joseph goes to see his dad Jacob, he decides to do something that is very important. He takes along his two young sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And today we will read what happens when Jacob gets to visit with his son and grandsons at the end of his life, And it's from this interaction that we'll derive our main points for this morning's sermon. So without further ado, let's dive into our text and let's see what God has for us today. And we'll actually begin with a word for the family members of grandparents. So chapter 48, let's start by reading verses 1 and 2. It says, Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel, and by the way, Israel is another name for Jacob. So we will use those names interchangeably. But it says Israel strengthened himself and sat up on his bed. And we'll pause right there. So just a couple quick words here for family members of grandparents. First, Joseph should be commended for taking his young sons to see their grandfather. Parents, it is important to make sure that our kids have access to their grandparents, and vice versa. Why? Proverbs 17 says that grandchildren are the crown of the aged. So let us not deny, I'm speaking to my generation here, and I will do that throughout this sermon, but let us not deny our parents the crown of their old age, the reward that God has given them for raising us. And that is the gift of spending time with their grandchildren. Now, that doesn't mean that we should take advantage of our parents and expect free babysitting on demand, but we need to give them opportunities to be with their grandkids. Furthermore, in Deuteronomy 4, Moses commands the people to teach their children and their grandchildren the faithfulness of God. Grandparents have a God-ordained role to play in the discipleship of children. Parents, in many ways, were the key to making sure this happens. We need to be facilitators to allow this cross-generational discipleship that God has ordained to take place. So again, good on Joseph for taking his sons to be with their grandfather. That's point one. Point two, the second thing I want to say to family members of grandparents right here comes from verse two. And that's simply look closely at Jacob's response when they tell him that his son is coming to see him. What does he do? He strengthens himself. He sits up in his bed. There's an excitement there. There's an anticipation there on Jacob's part. You can feel it as he reads that verse. My son's coming to see me. And even though Jacob doesn't feel well, he sits up. Adult kids and grandkids, don't underestimate what your physical presence means to your aging parent and grandparent. Very often, the best gift that we can give them is the gift of our time and our presence. And again, speaking to my generation, I know that we're all crazy busy and we're running to and fro, and some of us live further from our parents and grandparents than others. But if we're too busy to honor our parents and grandparents with our time and with our presence, we're too busy, and we need to change some of our priorities. When we read verse 2 and we sense Jacob's anticipation, that should inspire us to make the time to visit our aging parents and our grandparents. All right, now let's move on to the meat of the sermon, identify five ways to be a godly grandparent. Everybody with me? Everybody awake? That's not very convincing. All right, here we go. Verses 3 and 4. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. All right, here's the first way to be a godly grandparent. Recount the promises of God. Recount the promises of God. As Jacob's on his deathbed with his son and grandson surrounding him, he begins to recount the promise that God made to him earlier in his life. Those of you familiar with the story of Jacob know that he had a very famous dream in Genesis chapter 28, often called Jacob's Ladder, in which he saw angels going up and down a ladder that extended into heaven. And at the top of that ladder stood the Lord himself. And in that dream, the Lord made a promise to Jacob. He told him that his descendants would be as numerous as the dust of the earth and that in his seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Now that's a prophecy of Jesus, who was a descendant of Jacob. Furthermore, God told Jacob in his dream that he would give him the very land he slept upon, what we know as the promised land, as an everlasting possession to his descendants, his 12 sons and their families. Now why is Jacob telling this to his son and grandsons now? Well, he's going to die soon, and he wants them to know the promise that God has made to their family. He wants them to know the faithfulness of God. He wants them to serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Grandparents, you have this same responsibility to pass on the promises of God to your children and grandchildren. And where do we find the promises of God? Well, we find those in the word of God, don't we? What specific promises of God should you pass on to your kids and grandkids? Well, there's scores of promises that God makes to his people in his word, and any of those would be appropriate. But here's some just for starters. How about the promise that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? Is that not a promise that we need to pass on to our kids and grandkids to let them know if you call on Jesus, he'll save you. How about the promise that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the heart, that the word of God is truth? Is that not a promise that we need to pass on to our kids and grandkids? How about the promise that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that all of these things, all the needs of life will be added to you? That's a promise that our kids and grandkids definitely need to hear. And we could go on and on, but the point is, grandparents, we need you to remind us of these promises of God and not just merely make us aware of them, but tell us how you've witnessed God's faithfulness to these promises in your own life. It's one thing to know the promises of God in our head. It's a whole other thing to have lived them. Oh, how we need to hear those stories. How special and how important they are. Grandparents, I want to challenge you today. Recount the promises of God. Gather those grandchildren. Get them around the dinner table. Get them around the fireplace, around the living room, around the fire pit. And say, listen to an old man. Listen to an old woman. These are the promises of God. He is faithful. I have seen it. I have lived it and you must serve him. Let's keep going. Verses 5 and 6. Jacob, still talking to his son, says, And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine as Reuben and Simeon. They shall be mine. Your offspring whom you begat after them shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers and their inheritance. (coughs) Excuse me. Here's the second way to be a godly grandparent, leave an inheritance, leave an inheritance. As Jacob nears the end of his life, he begins to think about what he'll leave behind as an inheritance, not only for his sons, but also for these two grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And this is consistent with other scripture. Proverbs 13 says, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And the point of that verse is not that we must leave a financial fortune to our grandchildren. Certainly, many of us will not be in a position to do that. But the point is that we leave them something, something to remember us by, something to connect them to their heritage, something that will be of benefit to them going forward, maybe something that they can leave to their kids and grandkids one day. That's a godly thing. For example, uh, I have and still use to this day my grandpa's minnow bucket. Every time, not every time, but a lot of times when I go fishing, I'll take that minnow bucket. It's probably going on 60, 70 years old. It's seen better days. (laughs) It has a couple little leaks in it. You think that's special to me? Absolutely. Did that cost a lot of money? No, but it's an inheritance. Rachel's grandpa, who I dearly loved, he's in heaven now as well. He left me a shotgun. Very precious to me. Very special to me. Uh, One of the last things that he did for me before he passed away was pretty much buy my ticket to Africa for a mission trip. What an inheritance. What a wonderful gift. Grandparents, these are the kinds of things that we need to be thinking about. This notion of leaving an inheritance is a biblical and godly concept. The Bible says that God himself, our heavenly father, has provided an inheritance for us. One that is imperishable undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us according to 1 Peter chapter 1. So if we're to follow in our heavenly father's footsteps and he is our example, then we too will leave an inheritance for our posterity. And we see this modeled here in this passage. Now in Jacob's case, he makes arrangements For Ephraim and Manasseh, his grandsons, to inherit a portion of the promised land along with his sons, the land that God promised Jacob in that dream all those years ago. In verse 5, Jacob, in essence, says to Joseph, Your two oldest sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, shall be to me like my two oldest sons, Reuben and Simeon. In other words, I'm going to give them an equal piece of the pie. Now, why Jacob did that is an interesting subject that would take a little more time to discuss than we have in this sermon. But sure enough, when the Israelites settle the promised land in the book of Joshua, you see that each of these two grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh, have a portion of land specifically designated for their descendants. Now, that's a little side note to our study this morning, but it's interesting to see how all of that ties together. Grandparents, I would ask you, since we're on the topic Have you thought about what you will leave behind as an inheritance to your children and grandchildren? Oftentimes when we hear the word inheritance, we think about money and we think about material things. And certainly an inheritance could include those things and often does. But as Christians, we need to think more in terms of what can I leave my kids and my grandkids that will be useful and meaningful? And how can I do it in such a way that it will honor God and help them to honor God? And that's the key. And I can't answer that question for you. That's between you and God. But I would encourage you to think about that and to pray about that. One more little note on this. I think it's also worth pointing out that Jacob, in leaving his grandsons an inheritance of land, was trusting in the promises of God. Remember, this was land that had not yet been conquered and would not be for over 400 years. Yet Jacob was bequeathing it to his grandsons as though it was a done deal. Now that's faith in the promises of God. Well, let's keep going. What's the next action that we see in this verse? Look at verse 7. Jacob continues, But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Here's what we're going to take from that verse. Here's the third way we can be a godly grandparent. Tell the story of your family. Tell the story of your family. In reading commentary this week on verse 7, one of the commentaries I looked at said, scholars are baffled as to the placement and purpose of verse 7. Why is it there? What purpose does it serve in the story? In verses 5 and 6, Jacob's talking about giving an inheritance to his grandsons. And then all of a sudden, seemingly at random, he begins talking about his deceased wife, Rachel, and where she died and where he buried her. There doesn't seem to be a logical progression of thought there. And there's not always a logical progression of thought in how many of us (laughs) talk. But for what it's worth, here's my theory. When Jacob had the dream of the ladder to heaven in which God spoke to him all those years ago, where was he going? What was he doing? Some of you may remember Jacob's brother Esau was very angry with him and was seeking to kill him at that time. And so Jacob was fleeing to his mother's homeland, Haran, to escape his brother. And it was on the way to Haran that Jacob had the dream. And it was in Haran that he met and fell in love with Rachel. And so I think it's possible that Jacob associated those two things together in his mind. For whatever reason, Jacob started talking out of the blue about Rachel, and I find it moving, that as that old man lie on his deathbed, his thoughts were with his wife. Now, Rachel had been gone a long, long time. The tragedy is that she died giving birth to their youngest son, Benjamin. It's been decades. So whether it makes sense to us or not, this old man on his deathbed is still thinking about his young bride. And he's talking about her, and he wants his son and his grandsons to know about her. And you know what? That's a good thing. It was good for Joseph to hear about his mother, whom he probably didn't remember. It was good for Ephraim and Manasseh to hear about their grandmother from their grandfather. They would never get that chance ever again. And you know what? It's good for us to know where we come from, to know our family. Proverbs 22 says a good name is to be desired more than great riches. Grandparents, we need you to pass on that good name, to tell us the story of our family. But more than anything, we need you grandparents to set a legacy before our families of service to the Lord. Rachel and I are both so blessed to have had Christian grandparents who loved the Lord and served the Lord and, and set that example for us. And so intertwined in the story of our family, very much the story of our family was faith in Jesus. In both our cases, those things were just inseparable. It's just who we were, who we came from. And some may think, well, I wish I could say that about my family, but I can't. But listen, you can write a new story. It starts with you. So that one day when you're old and gray, and your kids and grandkids are gathered around your table like olive plants, as it says in the Psalms, you can say, listen, Here's the story of our family, and at the center of that story is Jesus. Well, after Jacob told Joseph and his grandsons about Rachel, what he does next is really special. Look with me, if you would, at verses 8 through 12. Then Israel, remember, that's Jacob. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them, and he embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I'd not thought to see your face, but in fact God has also shown me your offspring. And so Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. Grandparents, the fourth way that you can be a godly grandparent is simply this. Show physical affection. Show physical affection. I have a feeling when Jacob asks in verse 8, who are these that he probably already knew? I just see here a doting grandfather kind of teasing his grandsons. Who are these boys? And Joseph replies in verse 9, well, these are my sons. And Jacob replies, bring them here. Bring them to me. Verse 10 says the eyes of Jacob were dim with age. He couldn't see very well. This is very interesting because it's extremely reminiscent of Jacob's dad, Isaac, if you're familiar with the story. As some of you recall, Jacob went in to see his father, Isaac, on his deathbed, and Isaac was blind as well, and they had a whole scene very similar to this. It's funny how life has a way of repeating itself sometimes. But look at what Jacob does next. It says he picks up those boys, and he kisses on them, and he hugs on them, and he loves on them. And Jacob says in verse 11, basically this, gee, son, I was excited to see you, but this is a whole lot better. That's another thing about grandparents, isn't it? The kids don't matter when the grandkids are there. I've learned that. But here's the principle, and very simply, it's this. Grandparents, show physical affection to your grandkids. There are few things that a hug from grandma or grandpa doesn't make better. And conversely, I suspect, there are few things that a hug from a grandkid Doesn't make better. And you adults and kids that still have your grandparents to hug, don't ever take that for granted. Especially some of you think you're too big to hug your grandparents. Let me tell you something. You're never too big to hug your grandparents. God wired us all to need healthy, physical affection. I want you to remember the story Jesus told of the prodigal son. What does the father do in that story when he sees his son afar off returning home? Scripture says he runs to him and he falls on his neck. He hugs him and he kisses him. Who does the father represent in that story? God, the heavenly father. Sometimes the godliest thing we can do for our kids and grandkids is just to give them a good, strong hug and a kiss. Grandparents show physical affection. All right, let's finish up with our last section of verses, verses 13 through 16. Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, The God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them. In the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Here's the last way that we can be a godly grandparent. Just give verbal blessing. Verbally bless your grandkids, your kids and your grandkids. Before we get to the verbal part of this, there's something interesting taking place here I just want to point out quickly. There's some positioning taking place. You may have caught that at the beginning of the passage. Typically, the oldest son would receive the double blessing, right? If you're familiar with uh, the way that uh, Hebrews operated. And so the patriarch of the family would put his right hand on that oldest son and give him a double blessing. And so Joseph positions Manasseh, who's his oldest, on Jacob's right side. But Jacob, instead, instead of doing this, he does this. He puts his right hand on the younger son. And Joseph's like, no, Dad, if you read on there in the passage, you're, you're mixed up, you're doing it wrong. He says, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> he knew what he was doing. Remember, Joseph was the younger brother of him and Esau. Uh, was he showing a little favor to the younger brother for this reason Uh, perhaps Uh, again there's more going on here than we have time to explore right now but what i really want you to see here is the verbal blessing that jacob pronounces over both of his grandsons and it consists of two main parts first in verse 15 jacob makes reference to god and he gives god praise and then second in verse 16 jacob prays god's blessings upon the lads. I love how that's worded in New King James, the lads, that they might grow into a mighty people on the face of the earth. The application here is very simple. Grandparents, it is a wonderful thing to pray and speak blessings over your grandchildren, and not just in your private devotional time, but out loud in their presence. Yes, when you're in your prayer closet, definitely pray for God to bless and to save your kids and grandkids. If we don't pray for them, who who will? But when they're with you, let them hear you pray out loud. God, would you bless my grandson? Would you bless my granddaughter? Would you take care of them in this life? Would you show them your will? Would you save their soul? Would you bless their future endeavors? Let them hear you pray for them. Let them hear you bless them. What a tremendous gift that would be and something that they will always, always treasure. As we come to a close today, grandparents, I hope and pray that this sermon has challenged you today and has given you some things to think about and put into practice, some more spiritual, some perhaps more practical, but nevertheless, godly. I do want to say one more thing. I never, ever Want anyone to leave this church after a sermon thinking this I've got to do better I've got to work harder so that I can get god's approval so that I can measure up to what god wants me to be I want you to listen very carefully that sentiment is not a gospel of grace That is a gospel of works The truth is that we can never ever Measure up to god's standards in our own strength. We just can't do it. We'll never be good enough whether that's as a grandparent or a parent or a spouse or a child or whatever. But you know who is good enough? You know who does have God's favor always? There is only one, and his name is Jesus Christ. And if we will put our trust in him, receiving his sacrifice on the cross as the payment for our sin, his righteousness then is credited to us. And when we give our life to Jesus, not only do we receive his righteousness, but the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside us and empowers us in such a way to live that we please God. So here's the bottom line. The answer to being a good grandparent or anything else in this life is not to try harder, but it's to submit ourselves fully to Jesus, to let him have control of our life. And as we do that, his Holy Spirit sanctifies us and helps us Godly in all of our endeavors. If you're here today and you have any questions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, or you have questions about being baptized or uniting with this church and membership, please seek me out after the service. I would love to visit with you more about that. God bless you guys. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time that we have had in your word. Lord, it is always perfect, it is always truthful, it is always relevant to us. Lord, it instructs us on how to live and so god even in this matter of being godly grandparents we can turn to your word and we can see here what you would have us to do and so lord i pray for those in attendance who are grandparents that you would help them to be godly in these things we've talked about today lord as for the rest of us help us to honor and love and appreciate our grandparents and our parents we ask these things in jesus name amen